So what's new? I think we're six feet now or now we're like five feet. From lips to lips, we're like six feet. And that's what really matters. <laughs> yeah. The last time we made out was uh, a while ago. Was it high school? <laughs> Probably like two weeks ago. <laughs> that's before the outbreak, so we're fine. Or was it? Technically, we've been in the midst of this thing for a few months, but America's finally starting to handle it now. So we'll see how that goes. We've bungled it at every opportunity, we as a nation, mostly the people in charge, (laughs) (laughs) but also the little people. It's wild when you look at videos of spring breakers in Florida, and they're just going on as normal, the party crowd. They're like, whatever happens, man, I'm here for We're just here to party. We've been planning this trip for weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing's gonna stop our spring break, man. Well, it's been a few weeks since we've recorded a podcast, Stephen. It has been almost two weeks. Let's talk about the state of the world as of two and a half weeks ago. Since then, we've had an international emergency turn into a global pandemic. And now we're in the midst, we're in the throes of the COVID-19 coronavirus uh, spreading its tendrils across the planet Earth universe. (laughs) I think you need to be further away from me. No, I'm kidding. No, you can't go that <laughs> The world's in a crazy state right now. We hope this podcast finds you well. Yeah, hopefully everyone's staying safe, practicing social distancing, not gathering in public places for any reason. That's where podcasts come in. You can just listen to this on your own. That's true. Uh, I, I, for one, am used to this way of living, social distancing. <laughs> think we both are not a lot has changed for me except the fact that restaurants are takeout only so that's kind of a drag but it's also weird. some restaurants are just closed unfortunately it's hard to find a drink right now it's hard to find a drink it's hard to find coffee good coffee you think sidecars doing to go they are for now people need donuts now more than ever we need sidecar now more than ever sidecar is the hero that we deserve but not the one we need right now <laughs> No, it's the one we need right now. And the one we deserve. And the one we deserve. (laughs) So what are we doing today? What are we doing today? We're not doing a movie. We're taking a week off movies. And we're doing another album. Yeah. What album are we doing today, Gabe? We're doing Coldplay's newest album, Everyday Life. Yes. Is that, it was released this year, right? January? It was released late November of last year, 2019. Oh. And very unceremoniously, it kind of just slipped under the radar of a lot of folks. It did. Except maybe the big pop heads like yourself. Pop head. <laughs> <laughs> I have another friend who's really into music, and I asked him if he had heard about the album or had listened to it at all, and he had no idea that Coldplay had released new music. And it's really something special. They're saying Coldplay's back, and I'm thinking they're back. What do you think? Is Coldplay back? I think they're back. Because <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people have been turned off by the last several albums, yeah. right? People- I'm one of them. Are nostalgic for old Coldplay. They think Viva La Vida was the penultimate album, and then everything from there was downhill in one way or another. But until this album, maybe, perhaps. We'll talk, we'll get there. We'll yeah, talk about we'll it. We'll get there. This album is another album from last year that I wanted to do. Hopefully the next album we do will be one from this year. <laughs> There are many past albums that we could be reviewing, but I've been wanting to try to stick kind of more to the present albums, uh, do more recent things. And this one is one that I think is worth doing. Unlike other Coldplay albums, like you were just saying, this one I think is very telling of the heart of the band. Yeah. And I know Coldplay as a band gets a lot of flack just for being Coldplay. Yeah. Um, Comes with... The territory. The territory. And we we even may get some pushback for reviewing this album. People are going to stop listening. They're <laughs> selling out just like Coldplay. <laughs> Maybe. But personally, I even have a hard time with a few of their last albums. They are pretty hit or miss for me. The more pop direction, I didn't care for, but yeah, the radio pop, singles. Pop, pop even is a, a pretty Yeah, it's such a big term. term. The genre has always been evolving with Coldplay as a band, or changing at least. Sometimes people wouldn't say for the better. But it's up to interpretation, I think. Yeah. So I'm, I just want it to be known here and now at the start of this podcast that I'm not like a super fan of Coldplay to where I would review every Coldplay album that came out, but they are still one of my favorite artists. Um, and I think this album is a great example of why that is. So once again, in a more general sense, I believe that music is today's poetry and very evident of where modern culture is at. A lot of what music does is often a direct reflection of the heart of the modern world at the time. 
Um, maybe not the state of things right now. With I don't know this. The pandemic going specifically, on. this album is incredibly topical. True. In a lot of ways. You mean according to what's happening right now with the pandemic? No, not sp- no, not that. As of last year, I mean socially. Socially, yeah, for sure. So, but that's why we're doing that on this pop culture podcast. We're hoping our passion for the music, and in this instance, the band, uh, rubs off a bit and may even become your passion. Yeah. And today we're doing, as Gabe said, this album called Everyday Life from a little band called Coldplay. A little indie hit. little indie band. Never heard of them, probably. I have a question for you, Gabe. Yeah. How did you first come in contact with Coldplay? I think I... This is music. I think I remember it. It was, I think for me, it was probably Viva La Vida. And I might have heard some of their earlier stuff before that, but I remember distinctly in hearing Viva La Vida, the title track, come on the radio. Every day, it was dominating mainstream FM radio at the time in 2008. So that was probably the first time I had really started listening to them. I don't know if it was the first time I heard them, but and then I started getting into their catalog from there. The first time I think I remember, well, I heard Yellow. For, oh, yeah. For a while. So Yellow might have been the first, but when did you really get into Coldplay? Well, if then, there was a time. Then I heard their song Clocks mm. off of Russia Blood, Blood to the Head. Um, when it was playing for the trailer of the more recent live action Peter Pan movie, I think in like 2005 or four or something like that. And it was not the one with Garrett Hedlund and Hugh Jackman. That was Pan or something? Yeah, that was a prequel. I have no idea what movie you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, this was another live action Peter Pan movie that was made in 2003. And Clocks was the and trailer Clocks music? was the trailer music. And I was like, oh, that's kind of a majestic song. Yeah. And then I saw them perform Fix You on a news station or something. And I thought, that's cool. And they're like, Coldplay's new album, X and Y, comes out tomorrow. So I remember actually going and buying X and Y the next day. Nice. And at the time, Warehouse and FYE and Tower Records were all too far away. So I drove to my local Walmart to pick up the album. Talk about the band a little bit. Let's let's get into the history of Coldplay really quick. For we're gonna, sure. We're going to try to go through this as fast as possible so we can get to the review section. That's the most fun part, I think. Yeah, we say that, but... <laughs> Coldplay are a British rock band. I mean, that's an oversimplification of <laughs> That's <genre>. true. <laughs> <laughs> but for brevity's sake, <laughs> it's a British rock band. They were formed in London in 1996, unofficially. Uh, it started with vocalist and pianist Chris Martin. He's the one that most people are probably most visually familiar with as mm-hmm. the head of the band. Guitarist Johnny Buckland the bassist Guy Berryman, and the drummer Will Champion. They all went to University College in London. They started getting together, and in the late 90s, they played a lot of gigs under a couple different names, things like Pectorals and Starfish. Pectorals. Is that how you say it? It's spelled with a Z on the end. It's kind of bizarre. It's very hipster. Uh, and then... Poor hipster was a thing. Late in the 90s, they sort of solidified their identity as a group, and they changed their name to Coldplay. And along with their, at the time, creative director and manager, Phil Harvey, who is usually thought of as the fifth member of the band for his influence. The fifth member. They took the name Coldplay, and they started recording, and they released two EPs, which were Safety in 1998 and The Blue Room in 1999. Brothers and Sisters was another EP. I don't think they put any of those songs onto Parachutes, but you can kind of get that feel for where the band began, that kind of raw and grungy sound. Parachutes was their first LP, right? Yeah, Parachutes was the first official LP or album. It garnered worldwide critical acclaim pretty much right off the bat, Yep. led by singles such as Shiver, Yellow, and Don't Panic. And it topped the charts in the UK, and then it started going around the globe. Yeah, yeah, I it remember. Was, it, it was a it was a big deal, and it's I think it's pretty unusual for a band to find that amount of success so quickly. Mm-hmm. They recorded that album with producer Ken Nelson. The mixing process on all the songs were actually done by an American engineer in New York, Michael Brower. They had top forty hits for all those singles. I think. Wow. June 2000 was a pivotal moment in their history because the band embarked on their first headlining tour, including a showing at the Glastonbury Festival, which mm-hmm. is big, mm-hmm. big overseas. Mm-hmm. And then Parachutes released in July. The album debuted at number one on the UK albums chart. There you go. It was kind of a slow burn in the United States, but it eventually reached that double platinum status. 
did pretty well at the awards, the Grammys. And then the last thing of note, really, of that period is that that's when their fifth guy, technical, Phil Harvey, moved more from a band manager to creative director, and they had another guy, Dave Holmes, come on as the manager. Did you know that that spinning globe light on the cover of Parachutes was something they used to sit on Chris Martin's piano during gigs on this tour? It's a fun fact. <laughs> Are you having fun? I was like, what is that? Because album art is always an interesting thing for me. But, yeah. Well, especially for their early stuff, like X and Y. I have no idea what I'm looking at to this day when I look at that. It's supposed to mimic like a chromosome. Oh, yeah. Like genetics. That's cool. X and Y, you know. I guess the last word about Parachutes would just be, we mentioned how Coldplay as a band is always evolving their music and it's changing the sound. Mm -hmm. So what would you say that they started at with Parachutes and even if you've listened to their EPs? Yeah, it's alternative. Alternative Very alternative rock, yeah. Kind of, uh, what was the word? singer-songwriter alternative rock, I would say. And then in 2002, they released another album, another LP, it was called A Rush of Blood to the Head. Uh, the notable tracks from this album were Clocks. The Scientist. Nobody said it was easy. In My Place. And I would also throw in the song Green Eyes. Green Eyes. Yeah, the a funny thing about this album, about four or five years ago, when Chris Martin was asked what he thought was the best song he had ever written, he said politic. Which was off this album, it was the first song on this album. Really? I love that track. Yeah, and this is even post Viva La Vida, and that's a weird song to pick, but okay. As of four or five years ago? It might be out of date now, but I'm assuming that he still considers politics. Until everyday life came along. Okay, and then in 2005, X and Y came out, and like I said, I remember going to Walmart to go get this compact disc. This is still one of my more favorite albums by them. The notable tracks off this were Fix You. Talk. You can take a picture of something you see. Speed of sound. The, speed of sound the hardest part. I could feel it go down. Twisted logic. Till kingdom come. For you I'd wait. It's like half the album, but (laughs) (laughs) every other track is a big hit. Well, I mean, it's a great album, to be honest. Might have been my favorite for a while. Yeah, it's definitely my third or fourth favorite album by them. But every album I'm listening to is usually my favorite album. And then up to this point, everything kind of sounded similar in genre and tone. Like Gabe was just saying, they tried to expand their horizons from album to album. They tried to become better musicians and better songwriters. But everything kind of fell under this similar singer-songwriter alternative rock genre. And Chris Martin and the band has even referred to it as kind of a trilogy of albums through those first three. So then in 2008, Viva La Vida, or Death and All His Friends, came out. We've been referring to it as just Viva La Vida. This was and still is kind of a staple album for Coldplay, and a lot of people still think it's the height of their career. You know, it's just any way you look at it, it's a, it's a pinnacle moment. There's pre-Viva La Vida, and there's post-Viva La Vida. <laughs> <laughs> so for this album, they hired a new producer. His name was Brian Eno who had been producing music since the 70s, and he really pushed the band to branch out and try new things, explore new sounds and new ideas. This album really has a lot of Latin and Hispanic influences because they were touring those areas before they made this album when they were writing it. Hmm. I would also argue that it has a lot of European influences. That one, yeah. For the wide set, especially even French influences because even the cover art is that, you know. That was my impression when I was first hearing it is that I I think Viva La Vida is about the French Revolution, isn't it? Or at least it draws from that uh, thematically. Yes, but Coldplay (laughs) claims that it's more Latin and Hispanic influences. That's wild. I'll have to listen to it again. I have to say, from the amount of research and the time that I've spent listening to this band, the band and the band members themselves, to me, feel very disconnected from their own music. Yeah. 
it's kind of like what how how could you think that or say that about your own music it's weird I I remember when Chris Martin was asked what Milo Zyloto meant. And he said it it was the most disjointed thing I think I'd ever read. It was quoting him uh, verbatim and it was him mumbling and stumbling through saying, "Uh, well, we always wanted to name an album Milo. And we know we always thought Zylo, you know, like music. And then, you know, your toe, like your music's coming out of your limbs. What? (laughs) And that was literally why they named that album Milo's. He Zyloda. should run for president with that. <laughs> <laughs> with those sort of. I'm uh, sorry. He wasn't born in America. Damn. Yeah. But anyway, it's it's kind of strange sometimes how they respond to questions about their music. Yeah. Maybe they're just messing with everyone. I don't know. It's possible. Anyway, Viva La Vida or Death and All His Friends. It's interesting you said, if I could jump in for a second, Brian Eno produced that. Mm -hmm. I've been kind of a Brian Eno fan for a little while because he does a lot of ambient, like music that's not conventional music. He's kind of experimental. Mm -hmm. And so knowing that now, it's interesting that they took that very different direction with that album than what they'd been previously doing. They intentionally sought him out to produce this album because they wanted to do something completely different. Yeah. had ever done that's a cool collaboration that i never would have guessed yeah so they recorded a lot of this album in an old church that they had turned into a studio they kind of locked themselves in for a few months i think and wrote this whole album they wrote a lot of songs actually they didn't even make it on the album it took a page uh, out of heath ledger's book yeah kind of this is my own personal take on the album it feels like it comes to life as an album that is about the highs and lows of life, exploring themes of life and death. This album is very much about that. They wrote a lot of songs that didn't even make it on the album, and Brian Eno kind of forced them to dwindle it down to 10 tracks, which is why some of these songs on this album have little outros or interludes, and it almost feels like there's two songs in one track. Yeah. But apart from that, almost every song sounds completely different from the next. All the while, this album still sounds complete and flows from one song into the next, uh, keeping to the theme of life and death. It is this reason that it's my favorite album that they've ever put out. This is one of the reasons I wanted to do Everyday Life on this podcast because Everyday Life feels kind of like a quasi-sequel album to me to Viva La Vida or Death and All His Friends. This album feels like it has those same markings of each song that is directly next to each other. They sound completely different. Distinctly All the while kind of having this overarching theme from start to finish. With Viva La Vida, the B-side tracks that eventually came out were just as amazing or beautiful as the actual album. 100%. And you could actually kind of see more, I thought, of like where their their heads were at when they were writing it. The notable tracks for this album, besides all of them, (laughs) were um, Viva La Vida. Violet Hill. Lost with an exclamation point. Lovers in Japan. And Strawberry Swing. Again, that's half the album, but it's it's a great album. I love the whole thing. Yeah. It's it's probably in my personal top 10 favorite albums of all time. Yeah. And then after that amazing piece of art was put out into the world, I had to wait three years for a follow-up album, and man, was I excited. Then in 2011, they came out with Milo Zyloto. What a disappointment. Sequel syndrome. <laughs> Apparently, this album was influenced by 80s graffiti in New York. I think they went full steam commercial on this album. The pop angle. Completely. Even doing something they had never done before, which is having a featured artist of Rihanna, who personally also annoys the snot out of me. Steven's not a big fan of Rihanna. It was a direct 180 turn from the previous album. And it's, it was just so sad that we never actually got a true sequel album to Viva La Vida. Until today. They intentionally tried to go more pop with this, like you just said. Yeah. Um, songs people might recognize. I won't even call them notable or noteworthy. Uh, our <laughs> paradise charlie brown i actually like that one so i'll let it play every teardrop is a waterfall I turn the music up 
Whatever else, whatever, it doesn't matter. Just and those had their <laughs> time on the radio as well. They did. That was a long time. Every Coldplay song has their time on the radio. I only remember Viva La Vida into Milo Zyloto. And then in 2014, they came out with what I think is another really good album. Uh, also pretty divisive, if you ask me. Called Ghost Stories. Ghost Stories is a spiritually driven album that revolves around two major themes mentioned by Chris Martin. The album explores the idea of past actions and the effects they can have on your future and one's capacity for unconditional love. That's a quote, by the way. (laughs) They approach songwriting differently on this album as opposed to the previous two albums. That's probably why I liked it a lot more than Milo's Iloto. Chris Martin during this time also was going through uh, really hard times with his wife, Gwyneth Paltrow, and they got divorced the same year that this album was put out. So I think it explores a lot of those things that they were going through in their relationship. And and you could call it, I think, a kind of a breakup album. It's a lot more somber and kind of... Coldplay's always had those melancholic tones. This album in particular feels very eerie. Yeah. But it's still catchy, but it's so different and so unique. And it's also very stripped down, this album. Anyway, notable songs off this album are Midnight, which was their first single. Magic. Sky full of stars. You're a sky full of stars. I wanna die in your arms. Which was the one pop song. Yeah. I also really liked the B-side song off this album that was called Ghost Story. I've heard that one. That song is still the reason I haven't picked up this album on vinyl because I still want them to release an extended version of this vinyl record. Ghost Stories Prospects March Edition. Yeah, something like that. And then in 2015, A Head Full of Dreams, another swing and a miss. (laughs) Well, you can't win them all, even Coldplay. Yeah, to me. But it still did pretty pretty well. It did do well. They brought back a lot of what I think they were doing with Milo Zyloto where you saw a lot of those... Monkeys. (laughs) I'll never get that image neon colors. I was gonna say bright lights, Um, brainwashing. They were trying to make something colorful and uplifting, yet not bombastic. Although I think it was a little bombastic. It was very bombastic. Notable songs were "Him for the Weekend" that has Beyond for. Adventure of a Lifetime. This song is actually fun. I think. Yeah. And then the song Up and Up, which I also think is a genius song. There's a few good songs on that album. Some of these songs are fun. <laughs> Yeah. Just to clarify, it's not that Coldplay isn't talented or they're not good songwriters. They're still writing good songs. Just for me and for others who are fans of their older stuff, these albums that are more centered around what they're going for is fun, just weren't for me. I'm also looking at them as albums and not individual songs. So the whole album has to be pretty much a knockout of the park for me to really, really enjoy it, which I think Coldplay has written many good albums that they've knocked out of the park. It's just that they've had a few albums where they tried to do something different that just didn't meet my standards to what I think Coldplay should be. I'd also like to briefly say, apart from these LPs that we just mentioned, Coldplay has a lot of really good EPs and singles that have come out over the years, which are all great and worth checking out. Yeah. All right. Then we get to late November 2019 with Everyday Life. Real quick, was the assumption after A Head Full of Stars that they would be done as a band? I don't think so. No? But I think there were rumors out there that, because at this point- There was a long intermission. They had been around for 20 plus years at this point, and sometimes they just kind of go away for four years. (laughs) Yeah. But they had announced theirs. Coldplay was just kind of sitting on it. 
Yeah, as they do. Oh, the one thing that also is interesting is between Ghost Stories and Head Full of Dreams, it was only a year between those albums, which means mm. they must have been working on a lot of material, but they were able to write such different tones and styles in music that they could actually categorize this amount of songs that would play well in Ghost Stories and this amount of songs that would play well on Head Full of Dreams. So I thought that that was a really interesting note as well. Anyway, Everyday Life. This is a double LP album, meaning that if you were to play it on vinyl, there are two vinyl discs, front and back. Like I said previously, this album, as far as how much it comes alive and is about just life in general, is so beautiful and thematic. It has so much of what Viva La Vida did, where it really takes Coldplay's songwriting and sound to a, a whole new level. Also like Viva La Vida, each song is so uniquely different, but they still play next to each other as a whole beautiful body of work. And I've said to you multiple times, this album, I, it's really hard for me to describe, but I call it, I keep saying worldly. Yeah, the international influence is palpable. In the sense <laughs> that it incorporates a lot of elements from different cultures and draws from so many different influences. And yet making it all fit these universal themes of coming together and unity and it's cool yeah this album to me like you just said feels like inclusion commonality and life yeah the ties that bind so much of what i think our world is desiring today yeah and coldplay's always been even when it wasn't so uh, readily apparent with their music like it is poetry like you said, they've always been a group outside of their music that has been advocating for social consciousness and change, you know, whether it was political, economic, environmental, they've always been a group of people that have been trying to help people and move people towards awareness of what's going on, both, you know, externally and internally. Yeah, I agree. They've always been really uplifting and encouraging, both in the sound of their music and also on a personal level. As people, they've always tried to stand for something larger than just making music. Yeah. So this album feels like the culmination of that because a lot of the tracks on it are very, like I said, topical. And it's things, problems that are happening today. I mean, you have a track called Guns, for God's sakes. Yeah. We'll talk about it in a minute. But another one that samples that interaction between the cop and the yeah and the other guy. Right. It's crazy. So this is their eighth studio album. Yeah. Let's jump into it. It feels like there have been more, but yeah, it's only eight when you've been around for 25 years. Yeah. Like we said, this is a double LP. This is basically two albums in one, two halves. One is Sunrise and one is Sunset. The first time they ever played this album live, they streamed it, I think. They played the first half at Sunrise and they played the second half at Sunset, which I thought was really cool. Hmm. Yeah, this first track is actually called Sunrise, so sort of setting the tone. Press and play. What a beautiful way to start an album. <laughs> yeah. I don't have much to say about that song. It might be one of my favorite songs on this album. It's sort of like an overture. I love it as well. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's great. It's this kind of eerie, timeless piece. It's all strings, right? Yeah. I was going to say this track to me sounds more like the score of a film. Maybe like a period piece, almost like a war movie. Yeah. Like something incredibly sad. I don't know. It's funny that it opens the album with this. It's beautiful. Kind of like how... What is it called when you strike a note? Like when you're setting the key? Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. It feels like it's setting the key for the album. Yeah, this song is definitely setting the tone for what's to come in the album, I would say. Which, again, is a very uplifting, but also very gritty 
cultural album. Yeah. If you try to imagine this track over a sunrise, there's that strange contrasting view of something that is kind of filled with hope, but is incredibly sad when you're trying to look at it from an objective point of view. Yeah. The next song is called Church. This song has an acoustic guitar with a usual Coldplay kind of strum, but it's done in a way that you've never really heard Coldplay do before. Um, They include almost a bird call or something in it, some kind of instrumentation that sounds like one. And then it has a Middle Eastern sound, and the vocalist Nora Shakur sings the chorus in Arabic. This is one of my other favorite tracks on the album. It does sound like a single track, where it's like, this is something you'd hear. Not only in public, but it's at pretty emblematic of the album. We've talked before, and you, you told me how usually the second track of the album can traditionally be seen as the one yeah. that is yep. uh, not iconic, but emblematic, Yeah, and can establish the sound that you'll be hearing. So you have a lot of that international influence. It's funny that it's called Church, and I think, like you said, they did, was it Viva La Vida? They recorded a lot of that in a church, and I think they did some similar stuff with this album. If not literally, but then also, figuratively speaking, a lot of the religious context. He's also equating being with someone, a significant individual, as being in church. I think he says, take me to church in that way, kind of like Hosier did. Hosier, Jose. <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny to also compare it, like you said, to their older stuff because it is incredibly unique and new. But I feel like the, you can trace elements of it to kind of both, if you want to call them eras of Coldplay, where you have that Viva La Vida type of production, where you have sort of a little bit more of an experimental sound. It's mainstream, but it's also exciting. And then you have something that's very designed for mainstream pop culture stuff with Milo Zyloto. I don't know. It sounds like you can take the best parts of both of those and make music out of it. And mm-hmm. that's where Church and a lot of these other big tracks on this album mm-hmm. can come from. Yeah. There are a few songs that I'm not keen to on this double LP, but most of them I think are pretty amazing. So that is the one differentiator, I think, between Viva La Vida and this album. You like this one, right? This album? No. Because you said there's a few tracks that yeah, you're yeah, not keen yeah. on. Yeah. The next song is called Trouble in Town, and uh, it's a doozy. And I get no those 808s in there yeah talk about sampling yeah does it i feel like almost every track on this album is sampling something it could be but this one isn't even sampling i mean it's sampling music a little bit but it's sampling and i didn't realize this the first time yeah it's sampling samples like costco <laughs> i didn't realize this the first time i heard it that i didn't realize this was an actual interaction that happened yeah between the cop and i don't know who he was talking to 
I assume it was a minority because of the context of the day we're living in. But it's pretty uh, crazy. And it really, it's like halfway through the song or something when that starts playing. And it really put me on edge just listening to it. Yeah, it's sad to think that that's real recording. This song has like a pretty mellow vibe and mellow beat, slightly peppered in piano and guitar over a heavier kind of bass and bouncing mellow electric drum cadence that kind of sounds like an 808s thing, like I was just saying. But then it takes kind of a political stance against police brutality. And racial profiling, racial stereotyping. Exactly. Then they start playing this audio clip, like you said, of the police officer. And then once that interaction starts to escalate, the song picks up at that moment and starts becoming more violent and abrasive. And then things just get crazier and it keeps going from that point. Um, there's e- there's even a synth or an instrument that sounds like a siren in the back. I don't know if you heard that, but I thought that that was a really nice touch. A little bit. Pretty crazy. Later in the song, the guitar work is pretty nice. I, I like it when like a single instrument has a chance to just kind of riff and go off on a tangent. Yeah, not only is this song dealing with very heavy material, but it's also a good song. Yeah, you know? it's weird how it balances that. And yeah. I, I feel like you don't get that a lot outside of maybe rap. Because the rap and like hip hop and R&B culture is so rich in social commentary. The first thing I think of is like Kendrick Lamar. Mm-hmm. But in something like this, where I don't even know what genre we're in anymore, but you can still probably throw it in the direction of alternative rock or independent, whatever. This whole, just so we're clear, this whole double LP just jumps genres. Yeah, it moves like, around. Like nobody's business. So I had never heard something like this before, where it's so directly critiquing society, <laughs> the place that we're in now, in this sort of music. And maybe some of that was the sampling, but also just the lyrics from Chris Martin and the and the music itself. It was really uh, jarring, and I was really unsure how to feel about it the first time. But now I really like it. It's a good one. So it's, it's it's important to hear, I think. Yeah. The next song is called Broken, with a capital E between the K and the N. We're in the gospel section now. (laughs) So you barely have time to really process. I mean, if you're listening to this album all the way through, you barely have time to process the trouble in town, the heavy nature of that song. And then you jump into this more lighthearted gospel track. Yeah, it is a bit of whiplash, but it almost feels when you think about it, like an interesting segue when you're going from something Mm -hmm. so heavy. Like you could look at it as talking about police brutality and the oppression of minorities and then jumping into this gospel track. You could look at it as salvation in some way or another. Yeah. I'm, I'm projecting a little bit there. I didn't look up the lyrics to this one, but I was, I was curious to know. Because it is Chris singing in it, right? And he has just the backing gospel yeah. choir that sounds yeah. like. It's funny how we're, this is only the fourth track, right? Yep. And we've already, <laughs> it feels like three different albums. Yeah, I know. This is a super grounded track, and I love how they recorded it. It sounds kind of like it was recorded live. Yeah, very raw. Yeah, exactly. A lot of the tracks feel that way. under yeah. Kind of underproduced, but in an intentional way. Right. And then this song, and then with Church and a few others, Faith and Religion are really playing their, their heavy hands here in this album. Yeah. And although this song is simple, it touches on humanity and community, I think. Yeah, it's pulling Because you me. have the chorus in the background. and it's taking the better parts of religion and using that to inspire hope and love, compassion, trying to draw the best parts out of humanity. Yep. So many tracks. This next song is called Daddy. Daddy! I know you That's a beautiful track. 
this song is uh does it make you feel it makes you feel what's the perspective here like so from what i could tell because it's kind of like a lullaby it's a heartfelt and delicate song i think about crying out to a father that is possibly left so Um, like a child singing to the parent yeah and i'd have to assume that this might play a part in some story that chris has in his life yeah it's super sad but he's saying if you could please stay it's kind of like he's really trying to tug at the heartstrings, but it, the way that he pronounces those things and the way that he softly sings those things, it really just sounds like uh, an outcry wanting to connect with a father. Mm-hmm. Relatable. <laughs> really intimate track. Yeah. Soft, muted piano. With The the song starts with a heartbeat-ish sound. The melody of the piano is really pretty throughout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you, know, you, said, you said it. <laughs> it's interesting. No. This next track is called capital it's w-o-t-w slash p-o-t-p and it's actually from the lyrics of the song it's a short song with a small amount of lyrics but it stands for wonder of the world power of the people That's an interlude. (laughs) This is definitely an interlude track. That's exactly what I wrote. It makes me think of like super early Coldplay. Yes. Like like Parachutes. This track is all acoustic. It sounds even like he could have just put his phone down and recorded this. In a park. Yeah. By himself. I was going to say, yeah, exactly. It's not, you can hear the bird and the park sounds out and you can barely even make out the words he's singing. Yeah. The song is just an interlude track that kind of segues between one track to the next. Yeah. I think it's like a single stanza that he just repeats, but the, the title is for the, the main line of the lyric, which is wonder of the world, power of the people. It's just another uplifting mantra. This next song is called Arabesque. Arab oh, baby. Arabesque. 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 This is the jam. The park sounds directly from the previous interlude song play directly into this song, but it almost turns from the beautiful birds and the park sounds that you hear and almost to like street vendor noises and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. um, which I thought was really interesting. And then it goes into the main song, the actual part. This was instantly the first track that I gravitated towards for the big sound textures and stuff. (laughs) And then after listening to the album a few more times, I think it's still my favorite. There is so much to love about this track, most of which, I guess, for me, is the sax. The big sax. I'm a sucker for sax. I love sax. (laughs) Can you please stop saying that? Sorry. But it is really cool. They have a lot of instruments. This kind of uh, rhythm is really powerful and driving throughout this whole song. And you feel... Yeah, I don't think you can help but move to the beat. (laughs) Yeah, it's a really jazzy song featuring the sax. Femi Kuti and Belgian rapper... Stromae, 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 Stromae. This song does a great job of showing the Middle Eastern and African cultures, like you were just saying, um, and showing that theme of we share the same blood. It sounds like the kind of thing that you would pull from Viva La Vida. Yeah. Where it's very exciting and uh, dynamic. And cultural. Yeah, also cultural. It has this really cool driving instrument that's got this really big sound. And then around the 430, 445 mark, it just gets a lot bigger and bigger and bigger and then repeats in a pulsing kind of dancey way. I like that a lot. Yeah. It's a big movement track. The drums and the bass and the... Definitely one of the standout tracks of this double LP. It might not be the one people hear the most, but in my head, it's the first thing I think about because it sounds so unique, arabesque. I agree with you. It really does feel like it could have gone on Viva La Vida. Yeah. I don't want to call it the best of this album, but I think it's the... Definitely a standout. 
the other singles sound like more familiar Coldplay, and this one to me sounds like this was the one they were really moving out while still maintaining that kind of single hit mentality, something that you can really hit everyone with. It sounded like it was the most bold and exciting to me. It reminds me kind of the lesser known tracks of Viva La Vida, like Cemeteries in London or Yes or uh, 42. Yeah. Taking from other cultural influences. Anyway, the next song is the last song on the first part of the album. It's called When I Need a Friend. Wow. This is another choir, but this song sounds like a traditional hymn yeah. than kind of a southern gospel track. It's almost like the choir in this was already singing, and then Chris is just kind of singing along in the background. Some of the lyrics in this song that I think really stand out, not just on the album, but also just kind of as the outcry. I think Coldplay, Chris Martin, whomever, they're really trying to capture kind of the outcry, I think, of the people. Mm -hmm. Any people, any persons. And some of the lyrics that I like, it says, Holy, holy, God defend, shield me, show me when I need a friend. Very poetic. It is interesting to hear, I think, in, in a day and age when religion is so, uh, and I think rightly so, criticized for not necessarily itself, but the way people will use those ideas and methodologies to attack other people. It's nice to hear an album that's about unity and coming together and commonality where that expression is they use religion as a positive thing as a force for good and you can really come together in that way totally that's a good point then toward the end it ends with like a old hispanic man speaking in spanish and i translated what he says it says man look ah properly for all people it has been mocked because everyone thinks it's an impossible thing which is crazy the problem is that everything is incredible and people don't accept it Mm-hmm. So this song, like Gabe was just saying, it's another great example of being inclusive and trying to advocate for something larger than all of us as individuals. Yeah. And it's a great ending song to the first album mm -hmm. of this double album. Things only get weirder from here. That's true. So this next song is track one of The Sunset Half. Moving from sunrise into sunset. And it's called Guns. Everything's gone so can't say this for sure but this might be the first time Coldplay has ever cussed I can't remember them ever cussing before so this is a new one yeah it's not subtle this is clearly an anti-gun song sometimes art isn't about subtlety <laughs> <laughs> this is a, probably one of my least favorite songs on the whole double LP yeah I, I like it but it's definitely not one of the more um, like new I guess it sounds like the first thing I thought of immediately was X and Y because I loved for a long time. God put a smile upon your face, that acoustic track. This sounds very similar to that from X and Y. Yeah. And that was, I think, one of the singles from that album. So it feels like that from the trilogy of Coldplay albums back in the day, it was kind of a throw a bone to that era of music because they're, they're constantly drawing from not only their own catalog, but mm -hmm. from, from their own other inspirations. And that's why, that's why I like this track. It's all acoustic guitar, and it's played in a really aggressive way, I think, to mimic kind of the aggressive nature of using a gun. 
Yeah, it's funny how even without the lyrics, you can get that emotion. Yeah, uh, and it's just uh, an acoustic guitar and Chris Martin's voice, and it's not even two minutes long. Yeah, it's another kind of intro track to this second album. This would probably be like the most aggressive track on the album in terms of social movement or social commentary, because I mean, America has had an issue with this for a while, but it's becoming you know a hotter button topic all the time. Gun ownership and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and it feels like one of the focal points of not just the problems that our nation deals with socially, but also from the standpoint of the minorities and the afflicted groups mm-hmm. in this country. Mm-hmm. Gun violence is a big part of that. So very topical. This next song is called Orphans. Come see Here's your head full of dreams track. As a track, I really like this song. It does the same kind of thing. <clears throat> it's more poppy than Strawberry Swing, but... I would call this securely New Age Coldplay. <laughs> yeah. But I like it a lot, like you said. I think this is the song that you could easily play anywhere. And this was the first single you know, that they released because of that reason. Yeah. They wrote the song thinking a lot about kids in refugee camps who... That's an interesting perspective because it's definitely not the first thing I would think of. Yeah. I thought it was about nostalgia and wanting to go back to a place of your youth. But no, they had that in mind when they were writing it. And this is a quote from Coldplay. Thinking so much about the kids in refugee camps who are just like us, people being labeled as just migrants or just refugees or just immigrants. Yeah, a lot of the time in today's world, it's easy to draw the line between you and another kind of person, especially among cultures or across, you know, ethnic lines. But really, we're all just people. And it seems like that's what Chris was trying to say, knowing that he's using the viewpoint of a kid in a refugee camp, because we have similar desires and goals. We just want to be happy. We just want to spend time with our friends, as are the lyrics in the song, or get drunk with our friends, whatever. Yeah. And I think it's another wonderful way to get people to consider yeah. the similarities rather than the differences between us. That's a great point. This next song is called... Echo? Eco? Eco? I don't know. Something like that. have a soft spot for the acoustic Coldplay. Yeah. This one's, it's very pretty. It's very nice. That sounded like a mandolin or a ukulele or something. So I don't know exactly what that was, but yeah, this song again has semi-African influences. Yeah. We're moving into that hard in the next, yeah, there's one, there's at least one more track where we do that. And like you just said, I think this could easily be a song off of one of their earlier albums. Yeah. Like almost, I think it could work really well on the B side of uh, Viva La Vida. That acoustic, how long is it? It's also pretty short, right? A lot of these tracks are under three minutes. Yep, 238. It's interesting. This next song is called Cry, Cry, Cry. I think that this song is another one of the, the weaker points of the album. This song and, and Guns were, as far musically, as far as musicianship goes, are some of the weaker songs. This, this has like a doo-wop. It's a doo-wop number, is what I was trying to say. Yeah, it feels like an old radio kind of classic America period piece song. And it's one of the much stranger songs to me that feel really out of place. I didn't even look up the lyrics on this because I was disinterested. <laughs> so out of it. Yeah. I, yeah, it's, it might be my least favorite is a strange thing to say in an album that I highly regard. 
Right. But yeah, I didn't feel any emotional connection to this track as well. I'm just happy that it goes by quick. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't have a lot of nostalgia for whatever time period you would call this to be drawing from 50s 60s 40s america but it is interesting to hear another incredibly versatile track on this album it's true it's it's another style another genre that Mm -hmm. we hear that i think they're trying to be very inclusive of multiple different genres on this double lp so and not just genres but time periods because of the first time like it sounds like it's something you uncovered from true (laughs) many decades ago many decades ago all right then this this next song is called old friends Just like Echo. Yeah, it sounds like it's a just part Chris of that. Martin and his acoustic guitar again. Yeah, he could have done this outside of Coldplay. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It, you kind of, I think at this point, from what the the second part of this album has gone through, you really miss a lot of the band and you kind of just, you want more of the Coldplay band presence at, by this point in the album. Mm-hmm. We're on track five, and so far we've already had about three songs that are just Chris and his guitar. Yeah. Anyway. The content of it is pretty nostalgic again, too. Yeah. Talking about an old friend. Yeah. The words kind of resonate here. It says, we all melt back into the picture, raindrops back into the water. Old friends, and there are no ends to old friends. Yeah. It's nice. This next song is called Children of Adam. That's not true. Gabe, why don't you enter this next song? Uh, Technically, it's true. On the album, this next track is called Bunny Adam or Bunny Adam. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. I'm probably butchering it, but it's essentially Children of Adam. It's my favorite unconventional piece of music on this dual LP. So this is my favorite thing, I think, on this album. Outside of Arabesque, which is sort of my favorite conventional song, this is my favorite thing that is sort of drifting between conventional song and interlude. And it has a couple distinct parts to it. And the first half sounds like a Prospects March B-side, where it's just a piano track. It's Chris Martin on the keys just kind of doing his thing, a little bit of a riff. Very emotional. And then it changes into something else. And over the course of the next minute or two, and it kind of transitions into the next track as well, you have three different sections of sampling or audio or dialogue, sound bites, whatever you want to call it. The first part is a passage from a major Persian poet in, I think, the 13th or 14th century. His name is Saadi, or Saadi, Saadi. I'm not going to pronounce his entire name because I would absolutely destroy it. Anyway, this section's in Farsi. It's the Persian language, and the lyrics that it's taking from one of his pieces, once again, just really wraps up a lot of the themes of this album. And the passage is from one of his pieces called Son of Adam. The track title is Children of Adam. It's derived from that. The passage says, Human beings are members of a whole in creation of one essence and soul. If one member is afflicted with pain, other members uneasy will remain. If you have no sympathy for human pain, the name of human you cannot retain. And then it moves from that into a second part, which is a a little bit shorter, and it's actually sampling some lyrics from John Coltrane think the track was called the sun and then that's in english and then there's a third part in nigerian the third sample is from a song called 
Uh, you know what? I'm not going to pronounce that because there's no way. <laughs> the third sample is essentially a gospel song from Nigeria, and the lyrics roughly translate from Igbo, the language of the song, to English as, what are you talking about, dear God, for everything God made it? So again, the religious overtones and those themes of... Inclusion. Yeah, and togetherness yeah. and commonality, yep. the words we've been kind of harping on. But it's, it's so cool to me that not only did you have three incredibly diverse things to sample from across time and space, if you want, but also in this less than two minutes, I think, this track, but you, you have so many different sounds in it as well, not just uh, lyrically, but sonically, the textures are very unique. I like it a lot. Yeah, it sounds again a lot like it could have been taken from a film score, that, mm-hmm. the, especially the beginning. I love it. Well said. And it moves right into the next track, which is called Champion of the World. Champion of the World. Which is my favorite track on the album, maybe? It's the second to last track on Sunset, and it's kind of a single, right? Yeah. This song, to me, is probably my favorite song on this double LP because it sounds like old classic Coldplay. So in the middle of all this genre switching, they kind of throw this one like, here's what we used to sound like song in. And I really like that they did that. I also love that it says, I am E.T. on my bicycle. (laughs) That's a lyric? Yeah. I love it. That's cool. So it's just a really good song. I love the sound. I love what they're preaching here. I love that guitar riff that repeats. Uh, yeah, it has those anthemic qualities. Yeah, it reminds me, you know, Fix You has that really long guitar line that repeats. And that's what Coldplay did a lot earlier. That's why this song sounds so much like it is they find something that works and then they repeat it over and over again. That's what every Coldplay song was back in the day. And so they're doing that again here. And I, I think it works. I really like the song. Yeah. The last song on the album, the last song of this half and the last song of the whole double album. The titular track. is called Everyday Life. That's a beautiful send-off. This is one of my other favorite songs on the album. Yeah. I love the fade-in on this song, the fade-up. And because it's the final song, it's it's kind of like the summarizing song, you know, of both the theme and the feeling of the whole double LP. Yeah, you have that kind of soaring or swelling soundscape. Mm-hmm. And the lyrics in the song are asking these very quintessential existential questions about humanity, saying, what in the world are we going to do? Look at what everybody's going through. What kind of world do you want it to be? Am I the future or the history? And then we end the whole song by saying hallelujah or alleluia over and over, which means God be praised. And I, I find that very interesting as well. It's yeah. a, the exclamatory thing you would say out loud in church. It should be noted even the title, Everyday Life. It seems like Coldplay is trying to say something with this album that even in the everyday, even in the mundane, that there's something to look for. There is some life waiting to happen. And I really like that theme. On top of being so inclusive and multicultural, that theme really comes through with just the simplicity in the title. It kind of brings it all together. It's a perfect button, I think, on the whole thing. 
not just thematically while being diverse it's unified thematically throughout the whole two parts of the album but also from a sound or technical point of view it's a it's a really nice send-off it's a nice end to this little journey that we're on yeah and if it's kind of sounds like the end of a day Mm-hmm. When after the sun has set, this is the song you hear as the day becomes night and the light goes into dark. Yeah. That's the album. That's the album. It's great. Yeah. It's super great. And we're really happy to share it with you. We were both very passionate about this one. There's a couple other albums we were tossing around doing, and we landed on this one because we both had a respect for Coldplay to an extent, uh, loving a lot of their material, and also felt like they kind of get a bad rap a lot of the time. Yeah. And and this album, again, I think it's an album that we all deserve, but not everyone needs right now. <laughs> I think we deserve and need. Well, maybe, yeah. By need, I mean want, because not everybody wants to hear what they're preaching on this album, let alone hear Coldplay as a band. Yeah. Or even Coldplay's music, because people don't like Coldplay for some reason. Oh, yeah, um, you could throw around the term sellout, but I don't know. It's it's, I, it's it's subjective. I have a lot to say about that. One of my stances in life is that I think that you shouldn't give an opinion about something until you've actually fully immersed yourself or experienced that thing entirely. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair. Or it's like trying to debate what marriage is like to people that have been married for 20 years and you've only been married for one year. You know, it's you can't speak to something you, you haven't experienced. Which everyone loves to do yeah. today. They're like, listen, me, me speak now. And social media gives a platform to people who shouldn't be opening their mouths. So it's funny. <laughs> but this, yeah, this album is very much a product of the times. It's funny because of, that it dropped so quietly. Yeah. And I think more people should be exposed to it because it's the things that it talks about are incredibly important things for people to think about 100 percent agree yeah that's why i think it took the cake for me in a plethora of wonderful albums that we could have talked about for it to be this one because we live in a very mercurial or explosive time in history with so much going on and it's important for people to retain their humanity and the better parts of that humanity in such a time with themes of community and compassion. And it's super ironic that with coronavirus and everything right now, that community has been a theme that I think has been popping up that I've been seeing just in general. I think people are desiring community now more than ever because they can't have it, Mm -hmm. because they can't get together. And so people are trying to find creative ways to be in community. But coming back to this album, I think this album is standing for community in a way that I think a lot of people are desiring, especially right now, through this whole pandemic. Yeah. It's going to show people what they take for granted, I think. Yeah, it's very exposed. You mean the pandemic or this album? Uh, Both. (laughs) Yeah. When you take something away and you show someone what they have or that that old expression, you never realize what you have till it's gone. That's one reason I really love Coldplay as a band, because deep down, not only do they want to make good music... They want to stand for something that's larger than themselves. And I think that's the outcry of everyone that lives on planet Earth is they they want to, in the end, be known for something larger than their individual self, their individual person. Yeah. And even when you fail or you are perceived to fail Mm -hmm. in that effort, it's the, the process of moving in that direction is the most important part. And that's the Pop Culture Podcast. I know. I still want to call us the Pop Culture Podcast, deep down. Oh, did I? Oh, yeah, we're the Cult Popcast. <laughs> I actually forgot what this thing was called. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my gosh. But one of many. <laughs> well, we are legion. Clearly, the coronavirus has eroded our brains. It's... Also, Gabe's been staying up really late. Yeah, my schedule's upside down. What's next? Probably the Watchmen. The new 2019 television series, and we'll be covering probably the comic and maybe even talk about the Snyder film. Whoa. And just like this album, it's going to be relevant. It's going to be very relevant. That's true. Very I relevant. mean, because that Damon Lindelof's new series was uh, designed around what's happening in today's culture. Yeah. The, the original comic was designed to be socially relevant, so. Well, now we're just talking about it. This is now <laughs> the Watchmen podcast. <laughs> Part two of the Coldplay podcast. All right, Gabe, say something funny. I don't feel very funny right now. Well, you don't look very funny. No. Wait, wait, no, wait. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> oh, you missed it. Well, you look really funny right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. 